Hi, everyone. It's Peter Vassler, and we're here again for another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. I'm here with my friends, Brooke Gilman and Jim Maroney. It's been a while since we've been together, but here we are. Hope all is well with everybody. We are here today to do a pulse check on the market, see what's going on from the lending perspective. So without further ado, Jim, where are we at as we head into the new year? I know spreads have been depressed, but tell us your perspective. Thank you, Peter. There's been a lot going on, but not a whole lot of results, I guess is the way to put it. So we had the election, market rallied into the election, market rallied on the back of the election, and then we got positive news on a vaccine and the market jumped significantly. So by all accounts, we're hearing of a lot of short covering there, a little bit of hedging through ETFs, but mostly long buying and short covering. So I guess on the face of it, that doesn't feel that great. Last couple of days, we've drifted lower. My take is that I think this is a positive for the market, whether it's going to be a good December or not, I don't know. But the next four, six, eight months, I think we're set up nicely for it. A lot of the value names that have been beaten down in the COVID adverse sectors, the sectors adversely affected by COVID jumped. So we saw a nice bid to airlines jumped 15% or so. We saw theaters jump. AMC jumped 80% in one day. I don't think the hedge funds feel that everybody's going to be a winner and it's a binary rotation from growth stocks into value stocks from the NASDAQ into the Dow. I think the market still believes there will be winners and losers. Not all REITs are going to rebound. Some will, some won't. And the election was a big trigger for us. We had to get through that. A vaccine is another big trigger. We need to get through that. But the final piece and what is making the market drift lower today, today is 12th of November, for anybody who's listening to this later, is the thought that a stimulus package may or may not come, that we're still at odds between the left and the right in terms of how big that package should be, 2.2 trillion, higher, lower, I don't know. So once that comes and goes, I think people will feel more comfortable placing their bets on those winners and losers and putting in their paired trades or their sector trades. But for now, just on this price appreciation, we've seen some renewed interest in sectors like cannabis on the back of Biden winning the election. So it's just a matter of seeing that through. So they all jumped thinking that it was a better opportunity for nationalization in the U.S. And on the back of that, we've seen a lot renewed interest on all the cannabis names. And I think you'll see the same in the airlines and the cruise lines, perhaps in the biopharmas. It's a wait and see game, but to use a baseball analogy, we're in the seventh inning stretch. How's that? You know what I'm talking about, Brooke. I was going to say, should I start singing? They don't even have baseball in Vermont, I don't think. Well, not really. It's sort of Canada. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) So that's my take, Peter, on what's been happening the last couple of weeks. We're getting there. I think we're building a base is how I would look at it. What triggers do you think or what market events do you think need to occur to bring back some of the demand and ultimately what is hedge fund activity? Do you think we just need to get past year end so that hedge funds can kind of reset or? I don't think calendar year end is really holding them back at this point. Some of the quants are really chasing performance here. I think the true trigger is don't fight the Fed. Once stimulus is done and dusted here in the States, then you can say, okay, now I know what the market looks like. I know the ground rules. We can move forward with who's going to win and who's going to lose. The year end, we may see some of the outperforming strategies kind of pack it in here for the rest of the year. That's a seasonality we deal with every year. It's not specific to COVID 2020, but I think the true trigger is stimulus. And when you say once we know about stimulus, you're talking about once there's clarity on what that stimulus will be, not so much once we get past the period of stimulus coming into the market, correct? You just want the market to have certainty around that. Is that Yes. Yeah. Market hates uncertainty. 
So yeah. there's certainty, for instance, so we get a package middle of January, that's 2 trillion. And we know exactly where that 2 trillion is going. Then you can move forward with how you think that either certain sectors will survive, not survive, or certain stocks inside those sectors. So it'll be easier to put your finger on winners and losers. At this point, you may be fundamentally correct with a lot of these bets, but the overlay of global macro events causes you to lose money or get stopped out of shorts. That's no fun. Nobody does that. Nobody wants to do that, I guess. I'm assuming that everything you've just discussed is sort of pertains primarily to the U.S. market, but would you say the same summary is applicable to other markets outside of the U.S. in terms of lending demand? Yeah. I mean, Asia has its own unique hurdles, being the short sell bans for the most part. But uh, we heard news this morning that Korea might lift their short sell ban and not have it applicable to small caps, which would be great. I think that region needs some clarity on what Korea is going to do and why they're going to do what they're going to do, and then it'll move forward. But from a directional standpoint, yeah, I think government stimulus globally, once we have a vaccine and stimulus is pumped into the market, then it's on the road to recovery or normalcy, I'm thinking so. In the UK, I guess we'll see a little bit here too, but in the UK, we've long been anticipating new scripts coming to market. We saw one this morning, so we're encouraged that that market's trending in the right direction. We saw a handful of Scandi names trade well this morning or trade well into record in a couple of weeks. So we like that trend. I think there's a handful of green shoots, I guess, to overuse a phrase that everybody uses. A handful of green shoots that kind of have us optimistic outside of the directional um, shorting. Jim, some of those green shoots I know we've seen in our auctions that we've held over the past month or so across a lot of the global markets. Can you just maybe give us your view as to what your takeaways were from our auctions that we held already this auction season? Yeah, sure. As most people know, auctions, we view them as one-year conviction from the borrowers. When they step forward and buy a portfolio, they own that portfolio for a year. So to do that, you have to take a view on a go forward basis. And we've seen fantastic participation and bids through where we saw them last year, significantly through where we saw them last year, and nice premiums to where we think the market's trading today. So we are with a handful of exceptions where the markets are softer. We think in many cases, the bets are that the market is going to have good two-way flow and borrowers will have the need to borrow stock. So we are seeing them pay up for it now up front. So that's encouraging. Uh, in the- what about IPOs, Jim? Ah, that's funny you said that. That's exactly what I was just Airbnb coming and a couple others. Yeah, we, I just saw that announced this morning. It looked like four names coming in the next week in the U.S. And so, again, put that under the category of green shoots. And those are, you know, typically you see two or three weeks of specialness for those stocks right out of the gate. And then that fades and then comes back when lockup period expires six months later, typically. So, again, we'll, something we'll see in the next couple of weeks and hopefully the next couple of months. And then boomerang again in late spring in terms of lockup expirations. And Jim, you referenced ETFs earlier on. Do you see increased activity in some of the ETFs as green shoots for greater market demand later, or is that just what the trade is towards year end and people Um, seeing that way? I guess it's in part year end, but I think a little bit of it is there isn't complete certainty. We still have the elections in Georgia, in the Senate, both those seats could go blue, then that changes things dramatically. So there is a little bit of additional hedging, it feels like. I think we've seen in the month of November, IWM, which is the Russell 2, is up 12%. And so we've seen renewed interest to pay up for that stock. And so stock that we typically sit on, minimum spread stock in IWM, sitting in the box, it's now out. 
So I don't think that's year end activity. I think that's more valuation driven and other trades that maybe I'm not fully aware of, but definitely not just year ends hedging out. So Jim, what about collateral preferences? Because I know at the beginning of COVID, it went back to cash and then we were going maybe back to equities. Where do we stand now on borrower preferences? It's a good question. Cash collateral continues to bleed down. And so I don't know if the dog's wagging the tail or the tail's wagging the dog with that, but there seems to be less appetite for the cash borrows. There's also less appetite to pay up for cash borrows from our side just because of the collapse on the yield curve. So we continue to see the push into non-cash and then the bleed out of existing high rate cash balances. And uh, we continue to hear from the borrowing community of the longs that they have, which are non-traditional longs, so kind of non-main indice longs that they'd like to fund. And so I suspect in 2021, those with the risk appetite to broaden the collateral sets, which they're willing to take, will be opportunistic revenue for them. We're kind of in our auction season, right? Talk to me about what we've seen there as far as people's appetite for exclusives and which markets are maybe high demand markets versus those that may have come off. Yeah, so we've seen good demand for the EM markets in Europe, call it Turkey, Israel, Greece, those sorts of names. Germany, we had good demand for out-of-scope stock. We saw a little bit of interest. It was South Korea we were concerned about coming into this season and surprisingly saw quite a number of bids across a handful of auctions that we held in South Korea. They all came with various flavors. It's got a lot of hair on it since it's restricted until March for new shorts. So we were actually pleasantly surprised at the auction results from South Korea, whereas we went into it with pretty low expectations. But the rest of the region was pretty good. Japan seemed very strong. Canada was weak, but again, all our auctions were prior to the U.S. elections, which I think have pushed that sector higher. So that may have changed perspective. So it's all about timing when it comes to that. So, And most of our U.S. was done in the spring, but I still think that the U.S. market is, while it feels a little softer than we wanted it to be this point in November, this point in the fourth quarter, it's still a market that everybody thinks has a lot of upside potential. Jim, question not related to trading, but just more curiosity. Are many of the broker counterparts back in their offices at this point, or do people go back and now they're moving out of the offices again? Or what's the status with a lot of your trading counterparts? Almost everybody has at least one part of their group back in the office. So many seem to be split three ways between disaster recovery, the office, and home. But increasingly, it seems like folks are going back to the office, but that may change. I just saw off the tape that Chicago is locking down because of COVID. So that can change if something happens in New York, Cuomo makes a decision that'll change. But it's a good question. It's hard to tell at this point. Everybody has systems and system capabilities at home where the phone rings at home, but it also rings at the office. You could put it on hold. And the technology that everybody has at home now, I think, makes it almost seamless. So it really doesn't even matter where people sit. But it does seem like most have at least part crew back in the office. Jim, what about GC? What's the GC trade look like? Because I know we were doing elevated rebate rates to reasonably robust cash spreads for some clients that were interested in that. And that with cash spreads kind of plummeting, how is that affecting the GC trade? Yeah, it's just shifting from cash to non-cash. And so really the beneficiaries from GC will shift from those who have a cash only program to those who have cash and non-cash or non-cash only. So GC is the market. For the most part, it's 95% of, from a market value standpoint, what we trade. So it's there, it's held in from a single stock shorting perspective. I think GC is still healthy, but it hasn't been growing. There hasn't been increased risk-taking from where I see it. If there is increased risk-taking, it's getting covered other ways than borrowing from agent lenders. 
And Jim, if a lender had both equal cash and non-cash profiles that were just as attractive for general collateral trading as the other, and they were ultimately flexible to do either and were interested in GC trading on either side, would they expect to have the ability to maintain similar total outstanding loans as they flip from cash to non-cash? Or do you think you would naturally see slightly less in terms of on-loan balances versus non-cash collateral than you might see with cash? Yeah, that's a good question. They should expect to keep the relatively same balances. That's how we approach it as an agent lender for them is if we have cash loans out to XYZ broker and they say, I need to get out of cash, I need to go into non-cash, the ideal scenario is I maintain that market share and I move that loan to a non-cash client or program. So that's how we would look at it. And that's how we would treat our clients. We keep them flat. Certainly in this environment, it's kind of a little of both. And so depending on what you do with your cash on the reinvest side, if one is more opportunistic for a lender, then we'll, we'll guide them towards that collateral profile when it's a toss up in flux like it is now. But I think if I had a billion of new business come in, most of it would be non-cash today. And what are you most excited for between now and year end? Well, the Masters is this weekend. So <laughs> obviously I'm excited about that. I am concerned and excited about what's happening to cash and the cash reinvest, the lack of paper to purchase, the lack of a robust repo market, both term and overnight. I think I'm anxious to see how that plays out and how it transitions from cash to non-cash. I'm anxious and excited to see these IPOs come to market and hopefully they come to really, really big books and then trade with a lot of volatility because I think that would set us up nicely for next year. I'm anxious for clarity in the, uh, the election. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've been in this position waiting for too long. So we just need to break one way or the other. Well, listen, next podcast, I'm sure we'll know who our president's going to be, even though some of us already know. But uh, anyway, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Brooke. Hopefully that was an interesting podcast for you all. Keep telling us if you want us to cover other topics and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Absolutely. Thanks guys.